That gives you a sneak preview of some of the things that happened before and after at the TED, what it took to pull all that together. What a great time we had last week. Those of you who were able to be there, you know what that was like. It was a wonderful time for our church to be gathered together in one place under one roof, all to be able to worship at one time. It's been 12 years since we had the opportunity to do that. It was our 200th anniversary was the last time we were all together one place at the same time. So if you did not get to be there, you missed a real treat. Uh, you missed out on that big family gathering, but uh, grateful that uh, we have the opportunity to continue to worship the Lord here together today. So I want to say to you, I'm glad that you're here today. Uh, and when I say I'm glad you're here, I mean not just here at 312 Kempsville Road. I'm glad that you're here on the planet. Um, that's an important thing. Uh, but my question for you is why? Why are you here? Not here in this room. Why are you here on the planet? It's a big, giant philosophical question that people have tried to answer for years and years, for really all of history. People have come to this place and kind of wondered, I'm trying to figure out why I'm here. Well, today we're starting a new series. Well, five weeks we'll be in this series called The Gospel. And uh, today's focus is simply on our purpose. Why are we here? Pastor, and I believe there are four key elements to the gospel that all of us need to know. They're really kind of critical elements that we need to understand so that the gospel will first affect and transform our lives, but also to equip us to be able to share the gospel with other people. These four elements we think are critical. The first of those today is understanding our purpose. But the gospel itself is uh, simply a, a word from the New Testament that means good news, it's really great news. It's a celebration kind of news. Uh, in the Bible, we find that in this particular uh, use of the word, it would be similar to maybe the good news that would happen after a war is ended. Think about maybe the end of World War II, when Americans were deployed all over the world, and all of a sudden the news broke that, hey, the war is over. Our guys are coming home. It was a time of great celebration, ticker tape parades. I mean, it was, it was a big deal. And that's what that word gospel means is good news, something great has happened. Well, you could summarize the gospel in um, kind of these uh, three parts. It, the gospel is the story, it's the good news about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15. So when we think about the gospel, it is the story, it's the good news of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We just celebrated it last Sunday and we celebrated each Sunday when we gathered that Jesus is not dead, Jesus is alive. And so we get to celebrate that. That's what that gospel story is really all about. Well, people throughout time have made efforts to answer that big picture question of why am I here? What's my purpose? And in doing that, often people will attempt to answer that question with very limited resources. If they're answering the question, why has God put me here? What is God's purpose for my life? They may be tempted to answer that question from what theologians call a perspective of general revelation. What's general revelation? Well, it's the part of God that can be known by everyone in the world simply by just paying attention and by just observing. The Apostle Paul, writing to the, to the believers in Corinth, says this in 1 uh, in uh, Romans 1, verse 20, he says that those invisible characteristics, those invisible attributes of God are made known through or to the creation through the creation. 
He says that really you should be able to go outside today and you look up at the sky, uh, you look up at the sun in the evening, you look at the stars and the moon, you look at the ocean, you look at the beach, you look at the trees, all the plants and animals that God has created, and you should know something. You should be able to observe something about that. So what is it that you can know about God just through general revelation? Well, what you can know about God is that he is powerful. You can know that God is a creative God. You can know that God is a uh, God who loves variety. He loves beauty. He is a God of order. There are a lot of things that you can learn about God in that way. But when we start to try to figure out, okay, what's my purpose and why am I here? It probably demands more than just this general revelation. I don't know that you can go look at a sunset and interpret from that, this is why I'm here on the planet. I think we probably need more details than that. But many people throughout history have attempted to answer that question. Why am I here? What's my purpose? What's God's purpose for me? There were a group of people who were uh, kind of followers of Socrates in uh, around 400 BC. They determined that it was God's purpose or that their purpose was to experience pleasure in the present. Right now, I've got to live in this moment. This is, this is my purpose is just to enjoy and just to experience pleasure right now in this present moment. Other people throughout time have given other answers and have offered up other suggestions about that. Tibetan philosophers dis discovered or said that they believe our purpose really is to end all suffering in the world. That's a tall order. But they said, that's why we're here. We're going to end it all the suffering. Nihilist philosophers come up with a very different perspective. They say that we don't have a purpose. They say that really you're here by accident, you're here by accident, you're here by accident, and we have no purpose. You live, you die, game over. It's all done. There's no reason for it. Wow, that's pretty unsatisfying when you start looking for a purpose for being here. Einstein said that we're here to gain satisfaction for ourselves and for other people. <clears throat> Humanist philosophers would say a little differently. They would say, well, each one of us are so unique and so different is that you have a purpose and you have a purpose and you have a purpose, but none of us have any overarching purpose. The best they would come up with is live your life as fully and completely as you possibly can. That would be it. You know, left into ourselves and just left to our ability to make observations, I'm not sure that we're capable of coming up with a really good answer for why we're here. We're certainly not capable of finding the right answer. It's important for us to look to the right source when we're looking for the right answer. You see, if we start with man, we're going to end up with the wrong source. As we're asking the created thing, why were you created, instead of asking the creator, why did you create this thing? It's a big deal. We think it's worth looking at. Others have spent a great deal of time making an effort to look at that. In reality, the wisdom writer in the book of Ecclesiastes had some of these same thoughts. He was trying to kind of figure out big picture, purpose, meaning of life. And he said that he was going to set his heart on pursuit of different things. He was going to find the answer. And in doing that, he said, I'm going to just, I'm going to, going to build and collect stuff. And I'm going to be all about all the stuff that I can do in the world and work hard. You know what he concluded? He said, I looked at all the work of my hands. And guess what? It was all in vain. It was like grasping after the wind. It was like grabbing the wind. You can't do that. He said, well, you know, I'm going to set my heart on pursuing pleasure. I'm just going to go after it and live my life with all the gusto that I can. And I'm going to go after all the pleasure in the world. And he said, in the end, guess what? It was just in vain. It was like trying to grab the wind. 
And then he said, I'm going to set my heart on education. I'm going to gain all the knowledge. I'm going to be the smartest man in the world. And even after his educational pursuits, he got to the end of that road and he said, I didn't do it either. It's kind of in vain. You see, left to ourselves, we will pursue our work and our careers, our purpose, or we'll pursue education, or we'll pursue pleasure, or we'll pursue adventure and thrills and think somehow that's our purpose for being here. And in so doing, we've missed it. So we need another source to go to, and in our case, that source will be the Word of God that we'll go to. The Bible for us is, is special revelation. It is, not, um, it is not general revelation because, you see, the Bible tells us the story of God's love for us, and it tells us the story of Him sending His own Son, Jesus, to die for us. And we would never know about why God did what He did and why Jesus came, and we would not know the story about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus if it were not for some eyewitnesses that under the leadership of the Holy Spirit wrote those things down for us. And we have that information today to be able to understand what that story is all about. Now think about it this way. Do any of you have a set of coasters like these at your house? Y'all have some of these coasters like these? Okay. Well, I mean, you realize they're, they're well, I mean, they make pretty good coasters, actually. You know, you can do that. Now, I, there was a lady at the last service. She leaned over and told her young daughter what this was. And I thought, oh, my goodness, this young gal, about 10 years, 12 years old, did not understand what this was, thinking that's because they're old, okay? He realized that if 500 years from now, let's say that there's some archaeologist that's excavating my house, and my desk has been magically preserved for all of this time. And he is digging around and he comes to the top of my desk and he finds this disc. And there's a glass sitting on it. You know, he could conclude just by his observation skills that I'm guessing this guy took this hard plastic disc and he let that be a, a, a surface between the, the wood top of the desk and his glass so that it wouldn't leave a ring there. And this is a coaster. But you see, even if he pulled this little thing back and saw this little flimsy film in here, this little disc, he wouldn't necessarily know what this is. But think with me for just a moment. What if in my desk was also preserved this manual? And the computer manual, he could look at inside and find a picture of this disc and some information about what this is. And he would understand that there was a computer engineer somewhere who figured out a way to transfer data, lots of words, lots of ones and zeros, onto this flimsy little disk inside of this hard case. And that it was possible to store large volumes of data in this small space. We laugh today because we can store much more data in much smaller space today. But in its day, this was a big deal. You see, it would take special revelation. He would need to have the owner's manual. He would need to have the tools that the writer had or that the designer had to understand what that disc was made for. And do you realize that we are in the same place? We have the same need today. If we're going to answer that question, we don't need to look within ourselves as the humanist says we need to do. We need to look to our creator because he has a word for us to help us understand that he does have a purpose, that we were designed with purpose. Our text today is 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 through 12. I believe in this text that the Apostle Paul does us a favor by answering some of this question for us. I don't know that he does it specifically uh, in the way that I'm um, looking for, but he does give us great insight into a question of why are we here? 
in some ways, for him to say, why am I here? He might have been saying, why am I here in this prison cell? Because you see, the Apostle Paul was writing to Timothy, a young pastor, and he was encouraging him. Paul was likely facing his own death. When we get to chapter 4 in this letter, he says, look, the time of my departure is at hand. He didn't mean his flight was about to take off. He meant, I'm about to come to the end of my life. My life is going to be taken from me. I will likely be executed. His death was coming, and he knew that. And he's passing the torch on to young Timothy, this pastor, and he's giving him these words of encouragement. Verse 6, he says, Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who saved us and has called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, what? According to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and he's brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. And for this reason, I suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. And I will complete that verse in just a moment. We'll stop right there. What's Paul saying to Timothy here? He's saying to him, one, he doesn't need to be afraid. Uh, he realizes that Timothy likely will face the very same kind of demise that he is facing, that his life will come to an end. And why is that? He said, Timothy, it's because of this gospel. And he said, don't be afraid. God's given you a spirit, not of fear, but of power of the gospel to transform a life from the inside out. He's given you a spirit of love for God and love for others. And he's given you a sound mind to know and understand and the ability to communicate this gospel story to those who you meet. So don't be afraid. The gospel is worth it. This story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is worth living your life for, and it's even worth giving your life for. The Apostle Paul is encouraging Timothy in this moment. But as he encourages him, he says, look, join me in this suffering. Don't run away from it. Join me. And he said, I want to remind you, we were saved we were called, not because we were the good guys, not because God looked at us and said, boy, those guys are working really hard. Let's, let's do something special for them. No, he said, according to God's own purpose. I believe that Paul understood what I would call a lowercase p purpose for our lives. And it really is a work that we have to do, a work that God has designed and, and prepared us to do. Paul says to Timothy, look, he planned this work for us to do long before, way before time even began. This is an amazing truth and an amazing insight that Paul recognized what it was that God had called him to do. He says later in that text that he was appointed, he was set aside, he was uh, called out, that God's purpose for him was to be first a preacher of the gospel. He was to be an apostle, an eyewitness of Jesus, and he was to be um, a teacher. And he would be teaching the truth to the Gentiles that they too could find hope in Jesus Christ. 
See, he was clear, and it's clear from Scripture that God had a plan and a purpose for the life of the Apostle Paul. He had a work for him to do. That's not only true for Paul, it's true for us. Paul writes very similar words in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. It's not of your works. If it were, you'd go around bragging about what a good guy you are. No, it's the grace of God that saves us. And then verse 10, he says, for we are his workmanship. We are created by him in Christ Jesus for what? To do good works, which God prepared in advance that we might walk in them. You realize that God has a plan, a purpose, a lowercase p purpose, a specific work for you to do. You know what that is? For those who have already figured that out, you already know and understand the joy and the peace that comes in living that plan out. Do you hear Paul? He's not running around like a crazy man. He's encouraging Timothy, even though he is in the midst of suffering. He's saying to him, look, it's worth it living and giving your life for the gospel. He said, now God had this plan for my life, but he has a plan for your life as well. Or maybe you've not quite figured out, what is that lowercase p purpose for my life? What is the work specifically that God made for me to do? Let me just give you a couple of thoughts about that that might help you in that. One, I want you to ask God to show you. The Bible says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. That's the promise of God. He will direct our steps when we acknowledge him in all of our ways. Allow God to direct your steps. But I would say to you that likely the steps that he's going to direct you in and the places that he's going to show you about this specific role and work that he has for you is going to be centered somehow around your gifting. The Bible says that to each one of the believers that God has given his gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, he's given us a particular spiritual gift to use to bless others in this body of Christ. So it's probably going to have to do something with the way you're gifted. And it probably is going to have something to do with the passions and the things that you love and the things that you are energized by doing. Sometimes people get sidetracked and hung up on this idea about what is the kind of work, the plan, the purpose that God has for my life individually. Because they think, I, don't, I can't think of some big thing that God's got me to do. You know, he didn't call me to be the president of the United States or to run the world or anything, just some huge thing like that. Probably we can be thankful for that. But what I want to say to you is that often what we find, and really more often than not, is that God does identify some people to be a Moses and to say, I need you to lead all the children out of Egypt, the children of Israel out of Egypt. Um, <clears throat> but when he does that, when he gives one individual a great dream and a big calling in their life, bigger than they could ever accomplish on their own, what it means is that they need to build a team. And it means that often my call and your call may be to be a part of that team that is going to help accomplish the purpose of God in his time and in his place. So don't get all worked up thinking that you've got to have some big gigantic thing that you're doing. We need to do what it is that God made us to do. Here's an example of that. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. Jesus is walking along the seashore by the Sea of Galilee, and he comes across a boat. Peter and Andrew are there finished fixing nets in their father's fishing boat. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. What was he saying? I've got this big task and part of God's plan for you is to join me in this bigger task of bringing the gospel to the world. So as we think about what is my lowercase p purpose, what, what is my role? It probably has something to do with your gifting, something to do with things that you're good at. And I would, again, say some things that energize you. Sometimes people will say to members of our staff, well, I just don't know how you do all that. You got so much on your plate. I don't know how you get it all done. And I would say that... Um, 
it's important for us to recognize when we are doing the things that God made us to do, it energizes our lives. When we are trying to do something that we are just not cut out to do and we're not fit for, it depletes us, it drains us, it exhausts us. And so when you are doing what God made you to do, it's amazing what God will accomplish in and through your life. Now, my role here is to oversee all of the groups in our church. And when I enlist teachers and leaders for those groups, one of the things that I understand is that people who have a calling and understand that God made me to, to teach, he kind of crafted me to be one of those people that teach, I don't have to go cajole them or twist their arm or just like beg them every week, like, please come back and teach again this week. No, they're energized by doing what God has called them to do. But beyond this lowercase p purpose, this unique work for God, I would say to you is that what follows in verse 12 is really the bigger uppercase, capital letter, all caps, P, purpose. What's the big purpose that God has? Why am I here? Why am I here? We find it in verse 12. Look at what Paul says. For this reason I suffer, for these reasons he just mentioned. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. And here's the key for I what does your word say? I know. I know. I know. Well, that's a great expression of confidence. He says, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. What is Paul saying here? He's saying, I know Jesus. And in knowing Jesus, I know that he is trustworthy. I have placed my full trust and confidence in him. I know him. And I know that he's not going to let me down. This big P purpose, this big capital P purpose that God has for our lives is that we would know him. You know, to know God is to love him. And to love God is to express that love for God in our worship of him. God created us in such a way that we have the ability to be able to relate to him, to be in a relationship with him, to know him. When we go back to the book of Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, what we find is this picture of the creation of man. And we hear the Godhead, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit together in unity there. The Bible says, and God said, let us create man in our image. There was this moment where God chose to create mankind. Not because he was lonely, not because he needed you, the Bible tells us that the nature of God is love and that God's love exudes from him. And we become the recipients, the objects of his love. And we're the ones that are blessed because of that. And so what we find in this picture of the garden is this, this picture of you and I bearing the image of our creator. And we get this. We understand this. Think about it. I've got some friends, uh, three friends right now that are all expecting um, children to be born in the next four or five months. And I can just tell you what's going to happen when those babies are born. They're going to gather around this little crib, this little bassinet, um, and their parents are going to gather around and they're going to stare into the face of that baby and they're going to smile and they're going to look and they're going to say, he's so cute. And then they're going to say, look at his eyes. He's got your eyes. He's got your nose. He's got, you've got your dimples. What are they doing? They're looking for evidence of the parents in this child. You recognize that the child reflects something of that parent. Do you know in the same way that you and I do the same thing? God made us to bear his image. That when he looks at us, he sees some reflection of himself in our lives. 
who we are. Maybe we understand it this way as well. Who painted that painting? Thomas Kincaid. You're exactly right. Now, how did you know that? I, I don't know how you knew it exactly, but what I know is that Thomas Kincaid has some ability to paint in a particular kind of way, he uses certain colors, uh, certain tones, um, and he uses light in such a way. I, I don't know, but I just know you can walk into a room and you can see a bunch of paintings and you can see a Thomas Kincaid hanging there and you can say, that's a Thomas Kincaid painting. You know that your life is like that as well. Thomas Kincaid's fingerprints are all over that. And God's fingerprints are all over your life and mine. Other people are able to see the, the fingerprints of God on our lives. You see, God created us in such a way that he made us to do what none of the rest of his creation was able to do. And that is to know him and to love him and to worship him. You realize that he made the birds to sing and he made fruit trees to bear fruit that we might enjoy. He made flowers to express all kinds of great beauty. But he recognized that he did not make them to know him. There's no indication in Scripture that Jesus ever walked into the garden and hugged a tree. We don't have that anywhere from Scripture. There's no indication that he sat down and started talking with the animals. But we have every indication from Scripture as we read Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 that God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden in the cool of the day. That he is the one who was seeking them out. And he desired to be with them. And that they were not surprised by that. That they knew their creator and their creator knew them. What's God's big purpose for our life is that we would know him. That we would love him. That we would worship him like none of the rest of creation. Jesus alluded to this in, uh, it's recorded in Luke 19. It's what we celebrate in the church today is Palm Sunday. But it was the week before Jesus was crucified. And he's riding into Jerusalem, and Luke 19 records this story of Jesus riding on a colt, and as he's heading over the Mount of Olives into the city, overlooking the city of Jerusalem, as he's coming into the city, there were many followers that were gathered there. And the Bible says that when Jesus appeared, that they really just could not contain themselves. All of a sudden, what was in their heart burst out of them, and they began to praise God. And they said, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they worshiped boldly. There were some Pharisees nearby. And you know what the Pharisees said? They said, Jesus, you need to get those guys to calm down. You need to silence those guys. What did Jesus say? If they're silenced, even, even these rocks, these stones will cry out in praise to God. God made you and me to know him, to love him, and to worship him. So what do we do with that? You know, it's important for us to understand that he's created us for that kind of closeness and that kind of friendship and that kind of purpose. Others have said it in other ways maybe that help us just maybe carry it with us. So I'm going to give you a number of ways that you might say this. Why am I here? What's my purpose? A.W. Tozer, I don't know if he, these words are his exactly, but he would agree with this, would be that we're wired to worship. You know, there's something about you that inside of you, there is a desire to worship something or someone. He defines worship with four words. He said that our worship is our admiration. Think about what you admire. Our adoration, 
Think about the things that you adore. It is our fascination. Think about the things that fascinate you. And finally, it is our confidence, where we express confidence. Did you hear that in Paul? As he says, look, I know who I believed in, and I am persuaded, I'm confident, I am convinced he's going to take care of everything. He's going to be faithful to take care of all that I've committed to him against that day. Bill Bright would say it this way, God loves you and has what? A wonderful plan for your life. Okay? The very first of the four spiritual laws. Not a foreign idea, but he would say it that way. It's God's plan. It's God's purpose for your life. Rick Warren would say it this way, God formed you for his family. Or he planned you for his pleasure. Pastor Eric says it a different way. You would be not unfamiliar with this because he says we should live in such a way that every day we make God, thank you, smile. You know the answer. You see, it's living our life for God's pleasure, not for our own pleasure. What's our purpose in life? That we would know God, that we would love him, that we would worship him, that we would live for his pleasure. So what does this have to do with the gospel? Well, for our four key elements that we believe are necessary for us to understand the gospel. The first one of those is you need to understand your purpose. And I believe that this becomes a great conversation starter with people. As God allows you to be in conversation with other people in the days ahead, I want to encourage you to engage them in a conversation about big picture question. Why are you here? What's God's purpose for your life? Not just that job, that work to do, but that big picture purpose. Conversation starter. I hope that it's a reminder to you today that God does have that lowercase p purpose for your life. That there is a job and a work that He has for you to do. But He's also got this big purpose, and that is that you would know Him. Let me give you a word of caution here because sometimes people get those two things inverted. Sometimes people will zero in on thinking, I need to work for God. And they'll do it in such a way that they misunderstand what Paul said when he said, He didn't save us according to our works. You see, there's never enough good stuff that you'll do for God. You don't need to worry about that lowercase p purpose, that work that you have to do, until you've first entered into that relationship with God and you've experienced the worship of God, not the work for God. Don't try to work your way to heaven. It's going to be in vain. It'll be like grasping the wind. It's going to be in vain. The Bible says that it's by grace that we're saved through faith, not of our works. It's by God's grace. And so God has a plan for your life, but be sure first that you recognize that you are to know him and to walk with him, to worship him, and then those other things will fall into place. You see, we will grow in our, not only in our love for God once we're in that relationship with him, but then it will affect everything else of our life. Jesus was asked one day by a man, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God. All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. But hey, the second one is pretty close to that. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Jesus called us to love real people, not ideal people. Sometimes we only want to love those ideal people that have all their life together. I don't know about you, but some of the people in my life have got some messed up stuff going on in their lives. And you know what Jesus says? Love them. He calls us to love them. Jesus said, really, what good is it if you just love the people that are like you? He said, even the hypocrites and the pagans do that. I mean, you haven't done anything if you just love the people that are like you. But he said, you've got enemies. 
and you need to love your enemies. You need to pray for them. You need to bless those who persecute you and use you wrongly. See, when we understand this big picture purpose that God wants us to know him, to be in a relationship with him, that he formed us for a friendship with him, to be a part of his family, when we establish that relationship, it affects every other element and aspect of our life. You may be wondering, well, if everybody, I mean, if this is so clear what our purpose is, why doesn't everybody get that? Why don't people understand that I'm here to know God and to love God and to worship him? Well, that's a great question. And it's a great question that I'm going to leave up to Pastor Eric next week because there's a really big problem. There's a huge problem And he's going to talk about that next week. That's the second point in understanding the gospel is that we need to know that God has this incredible purpose for our life and he's made us so that we could know him. But there is a problem. So that's for next week. So today, let me close this way. just want to ask a couple of questions. First question is this. What are you going to do with the rest of the only life that God has given you? What are you going to do with the rest of the only life that God has given to you? I think there are a couple of options. One option is you can say, it's my life, I'm going to do with it whatever I please. I'm going to live my life however I want to live. It's nobody else's business, it's my life. And that is one way to live, and I'll tell you, there's a price to pay for living that life. I suggest to you a better way to live the rest of the only life God's given you And that is to come to understand that God has made you to glorify him. And that God has a purpose and a plan for your life. And when you will be in relationship with him, and when you come to know him and love him and walk with him, you will find life, you will find purpose and meaning and fulfillment like you could never imagine. It's the better of those two options. I can summarize this sermon in, in three statements. God made you on purpose. He made you on purpose. You're not an accident. Paul says that he had planned all this way before time even began. And he made you with a purpose. There's something specific. There's some particular role that God has for you to fill in this life. But God really did make you for a purpose. And he made you for the purpose of knowing him, of loving him, expressing that love for him through your worship. So my second question is this. Do you know him? Do you know God? Do you have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ? Can you say with the apostle Paul, I know who I believe, and I am confident. I'm persuaded that he is able to keep everything that I've committed to him until that day. I don't know if they're in the room uh, today or not. Uh, I was with them on Friday night, but I, uh, we have new neighbors that have moved in our neighborhood next door. And so we've had a delightful time just getting to know them. Uh, Jan had the kids over Friday, and we had dinner together with some other friends in the neighborhood Friday night. And uh, we've been in each other's homes. And, and it's just been a great time getting to know one another. But there are also neighbors in our neighborhood that you know, live farther down the street. And I see them when I drive out. I see them in their yard, or I see them come and go. But I don't, I don't know their name, honestly. And I've never met them. I've never been in their home. They've never been in my home. And if you were to ask me, do you know the people that live, you know, in 1214, I'd have to honestly say, I'd, I don't know them. Never met them. Never had a conversation with them. Never listened to them. Never talked to them. I, I got no connection with them at all. But my neighbors next door, I could say, oh, yeah, they're new, but I've met them. I know them. Know where they're from. Know some things about them. Know what kind of work they do. I mean, we've, we've spent a great deal of time together. 
So how about you? Do you know God? Do you have a relationship with him through Jesus? If the answer is yes to that, I want to encourage you. Musicians are going to come back out in just a moment, lead us in a closing song. I want to encourage you uh, as this song moves along and we have an opportunity to fully engage in worship in this song. I want to ask you just to use this as your time, just to express your worship to the Lord because he made you with a purpose to know him, to love him, to worship him. But if you don't, there'll be other staff that'll be here uh, at the front. And I'm going to encourage you from where you are, if you'd say, I, I don't know God. I don't have a relationship with him. I'm going to invite you just to take a step out and speak to one of these folks and just say to them, look, I don't, I don't know God, but I want to know him. I need to know him. I understand that's his purpose for me, but I want to know God. And there's some people here who would love to help you further understand the rest of this gospel story about how you could enter into a relationship with God. But today, I want to encourage you to fulfill the purpose that God made you for. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you did not leave us to wander around on our own to try to figure out why we're here. God, thank you that your word tells us that in love, God, you sent your only son, Christ, to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves and to make possible a way for us to, to know you and to be in a relationship with you. Father, I'm thankful that you give us purpose and meaning in this life. And Father, I pray for any who might be here today that would say, I don't really get that. I don't understand that. I don't really have any meaning or purpose in my life. And God, I pray that you would begin the journey of knocking on the door of their heart and drawing them to yourself. God, that they might come to understand your great love for them and your desire for them to know you and for them to know you, for you to know them. God, use us in this moment to point others to you, even in our worship. God, will we honor you with who we are. Thank you for creating us with purpose. For it's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Have your will and your way. Amen.